Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to give you something here tonight that uh, I just believe that, that God would have me to say. I, I do want to be careful in what I say, and I've asked God to just uh, give me wisdom and to help me not to say any more than he would want me to. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 19 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Father, would you please help us tonight? I do realize that some are weary. Lord, I pray that as we think about this passage and as, Lord, I try to give what I believe you've given me, I just want you to touch our hearts and help us to understand. Lord, I would think most people here want to be obedient I think most people here, Lord, would sincerely have a desire to please you. And I think, Lord, if if people thought you wanted something, then I think that's what they would want to do. And I pray you'd help us, please, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When we moved to Thailand about a year ago, I had to get used to a lot of things being different. Now, I was not... Uh, unaccustomed to uh, visiting Asia. I'd been in there many times before, but uh, when you live somewhere, you know, you, you immerse yourself in a culture and things that were, were strange to you in your culture after a while just become normal. And it's not until I usually get a visitor walking around with me and they start pointing out things or remarking about something that I, I think, oh yeah, that, that is a bit unusual. You see very strange things in Thailand all the time. It's People, I was saying to our men the other day, you know, people have crocodiles in their one-room apartments. And uh, at first I thought that was strange. Now I just, you know, greet Fido and talk to them and, and that's the end of it. It's just, it's become somewhat normal. Uh, we were laughing last week. I remember standing there with one of the men who worked for me uh, and uh, we had uh, pushed the elevator button and we were talking and, and waiting and and, you know, we are kind of chatting a little bit, and I was watching the numbers on the elevator come down to our floor. And uh, finally, the door opened, and as the door opened, we instinctively went to walk in. But as we went to walk into the elevator, there was a dog in there. And the dog just lifted its head up and looked at us. And we just looked at the dog, and the door closed, and the elevator went down again. And the amusing thing was, our conversation never missed a beat. Nobody commented about the dog, we just kept talking. And uh, the Thai man just reached over and pushed the button again, and, and when the next elevator came, we just got in. Things that you get used to. In Thailand, the, the royal family, the royal Thai family, is uh, something that has taken hold in that culture and it's hard to understand the impact that it has unless you really live there or you go there for some time. Uh, the, 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 the king of Thailand is revered almost as a god, and some people would, would believe he is a god. But he, he's, he's so esteemed. Every, every building you go to, every high-rise, every corporate company, whether they be a multinational or a local company, We'll have uh, large pictures of the king with complimentary words. It's plastered over high-rise buildings everywhere. People hire billboards just to put up a, a large picture of the king and say something uh, gracious about him. Uh, he's, of course, he's on all the currency. Every Thai home has a, uh, a calendar or pictures of the king. 
when the king goes out, people fall down before him, and uh, he's very highly esteemed. I had to get used to the fact that when I was in Thailand, we would be driving somewhere, and, and suddenly many police will come out, and they'll just block the road for miles, and the traffic in Thailand is horrendous at the best of times. They'll just block all the traffic and, and shut down all the highways because the royal family is travelling. And the royal family are out and about every single day. And so this happens many times. The road is stopped and everybody just knows, oh, it's the royal family. And when the highway is cleared, all these cars will speed past and, and some member of the royal family. And I've just adjusted to that. At first it was it, you know, just, you know, I just accepted that that's the way it is. So every member of the royal family is very highly esteemed. About probably three weeks ago, the sister of the king... Uh, went into hospital and uh, after a prolonged sickness, she, she died. I, it was about three weeks ago she died. And immediately that happened, people all over Thailand uh, started putting up images of her, the sister of the king. And there's nowhere, if you were there tonight, there's nowhere you could go in Thailand, and particularly in Bangkok, where you would not, in a, if you just took a short journey, you would see many, many, many images of this lady. And uh, you would see you would see images that some of them would be eight stories of a building, uh, billboards, and they're just everywhere. And people took out full-page uh, ads in the the Bangkok Post and the Nation newspaper saluting this woman. And so is the royal family held that way. Well, her image has been everywhere, and, and the Thai custom now is that her body will lay in state for uh, about a hundred days, and then they're going to have a cremation that will be televised, and it's a very significant thing for Thai people. And I'm always very careful to be uh, just wise in anything I remark about the royal family to any Thai person, knowing how they feel about them. Well, we were driving the car just last week, and the Thai man who I'd led to Christ was driving the car for me, and as we were looking at all the various... Uh, you know, images of the king's sister, you, they're just everywhere. And, and he had not made much comment. And he turned around to me and he said, Pastor, he said, do you think the king's sister is in hell? And I said, uh, I was about to answer. And he said, uh, do you think my grandfather is in hell? His grandfather died a few months before that. And I said, well... I said, Joe, you know, I don't know because God knows that now. I'm not there. I don't know what's happened. I do know this. The Bible says that God is good and just and he will always do what is right. And I've, and I've learned that uh, once somebody's dead, there's not a lot of gain in us speculating about what has happened after the event. That is now in God's hands. And we need to concern ourselves with the people who are still alive, who don't know the Lord. And I answered him like that. I said, Joe, one thing I am sure of is this. God will never allow sin into his presence. And if somebody dies in their sin, it is an impossibility that they can ever be in God's presence. I began to think about that statement, and I thought about the fact that As we read here in the Bible tonight, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, did some things that had not been done in his culture. What had happened in his day is that the religious leaders and 
and others had firmly established a pattern between those who were deemed to be righteous, live their lives over here, and those who were unrighteous, or they called them sinners and other uh, uh, adjectives, these people lived differently. And there was a very great gulf between those who professed to, to follow God and uh, many common sinners, people who live lives that perhaps were deemed to be not in accordance with how God would want. And when Jesus came along, he did something that had not been done before. And we need to, uh, we need to be careful we don't uh, somehow miss the extraordinary thing he did in going against a, really an established cultural pattern. He, as a rabbi and as a teacher, and we know as God in the flesh, Jesus went and did things that had never been done before. He touched lepers. And nobody touched lepers. And that of itself would have been quite staggering to see. Not only did he touch lepers, he, he by choice chose to go and sit and eat and talk and be around those people that everyone else had kept away from. Now John the Baptist didn't do that. And the Pharisees didn't do that. And nobody had done that. And when Jesus did that, people started saying things to him that perhaps people would say today. They started saying, well, you know, they accused him of that behavior, insinuating that he wants to be there because somehow he enjoys being around sin. Now, when you remember that Jesus was God in the flesh, you ask yourself... How was it that God was able to be around that? How how was it that Jesus was able to... Now, whatever you think about people who are unclean, and, and, and don't tell me tonight there are not people that you would feel uncomfortable being around because of their sin. People that you simply do not understand, you, you would not have a connection with. And in fact, if somebody asked you to, to, to spend an evening and have a meal with certain people, you might feel extremely uncomfortable and feel like, look, I, I just don't even want to be around that. And yet Jesus broke all those cultural taboos and immersed himself and got around those people. He gave those people the word of God. He spent time with them. How is it that he did that? And the answer to how he did that lies in some of the things he said about himself. In John chapter 12, Jesus made this statement. He said, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And that begins to help us understand how God was able, how Jesus was willing to be around sinners, knowing that that no sin was invisible to him. Knowing that whatever you would see as a man, he knew the full extent of. And he, by choice, took himself to those people because those were the people who needed to be saved. It was those people who had the sin that needed to hear what he had come to do. And by choice, he said, I I will, he did not separate himself from those people. 
He did not go to other places and just talk about those people and what they were doing. He did not stand up before the righteous and preach sermons about the conduct of those people. Jesus, by choice, went to those people because those are the people who had the sin and those are the people that needed to be saved. And Jesus said, I have not come to judge the world. Now, at a future point, he will judge the world. But he made it very clear in, in this, this time, I have not come to judge the world. In fact, he said, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, you understand tonight when we say the world, we're talking about the people of the world. He's saying this. I came not to judge the world. He's saying, I did not come to judge the people of the world, but to save the people of the world. By choice, Jesus went to the people who had the sin to give them the gospel and to tell them what God was going to do for them. Look please at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. I want you to look at verse number 9 here. We'll just read a few verses here. One Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers, saved people at Corinth, and he says to them, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. And you understand what fornicators are. He said, I told you not to. Now, look carefully because in verse number 10, he's going to qualify what he said because he doesn't want these Corinthian believers to misunderstand something. He wants them to understand what he's talking about. So he said, in verse number 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, verse number 10, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. He said, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying to you that, that, that you can't have company with those people of the world. That, that's not what I'm saying. And read on and he'll qualify himself further. He said, but now have I written unto you not to keep company if any man is called a brother. This is, if somebody's a brother of a believer, this is a saved person. Is this a saved person? This is a saved person. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, know not to eat. He said, I'm, I, I, I had spoken to you previously about the fact of some, some immorality that you had within the church, and I've told you that you can't just condone that and accept that as normal, that that needs to be dealt with, but I wasn't saying to you that you somehow can't go around and be around any more sinners, and you have to avoid all these other people in their sin. I wasn't referring to that. For in verse number 12, he says, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. Verse number 13, But them that are without, 
God judges. God. The Apostle Paul said, don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying to you here is matters pertaining to the church. You should take care of that. That's your jurisdiction. You're expected to administer that. I told you that you don't tolerate that happening in your church. Don't have company with that person. Don't act like everything's okay. You need to put a gap there. God needs to deal with him. And they did do that. But he said, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you that people who have those sins... That in the world, that somehow you need to keep away from that. But most of you think you do. But they're the people who God wants to save. They're the people that Jesus came for. They're the ones that Jesus demonstrated by his own choices. I'm going to take the message to them. We, 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 I'm afraid that what's happened is... We have become more adversarial than evangelical. We, we, have, we have established a them and us. In fact, we have people who see us as their number one enemies. They shouldn't see us that way. Or, or, or they, they, they might be troubled by the fact that we will not endorse their behaviors. We will not back down on the fact that God has made some things very clear and, and we're going to take a stand on that. But it should be understood that we have a message of hope and the gospel is for them. And shocking as it may be to you tonight, God loves those people. As disturbing as that may be. That they're the people God wants to save. But we've become so afraid, we, we are, we are reversing the cultural pattern that Jesus established. We are going back to a model of Phariseeism rather than a model of Christ-likeness. We're afraid to go to them. And brethren, it's perfectly normal for those that are wanting to seek after God and wanting to live for what is right to be a little bit uncomfortable around people who just are flatly unrighteous. It's not uncommon to not feel comfortable around that. It's, it's probably a good thing that you don't have comfort with that. But we can take that too far. You know, I, I was walking in a, an area of Bangkok the other day and and we were out there and we'd been handing out some tracts and, and talking to some people about the gospel. And, and one of the men I had with me, he said, Pastor, he said, you know, I, I just, I wasn't going to say this. And, and maybe, maybe, and he said, speaking in Thai, he said, maybe I shouldn't say it. And he's trying to respect me as his, as his leader. And he said, and I said, no, no, just, we have a relationship. Just say, if something's on your heart, just say. I said, you can just say. And he said, well, I, I just don't like it when we come here. He said, I, I, when we come here in this area, I just don't like being even around this area. And I said, well, I understand that. I said, but you're forgetting something. I won you to Christ in this area. This is where you came from. And he went... And I just gently, I said, I understand, you're not, and I'm, I'm glad that, that you, you feel that way somewhat, but I said, there are people here like you. 
and who is coming to them? If we don't go, who will go to them? I, I can see that you have a culture war going on in this country. I see that. I see that there are people fighting to get the upper hand to who will have the dominant cultural influence in this country. And I understand that because you, you, you live here and your family lives here, that you, you, you have a stake in that. And I understand that, that in, in your great democracy, you have a voice and you want to stand for right. But, but brethren, we, we have to be careful that we don't confuse conservatism with Christianity. We, we've got to be careful that, that we don't start thinking what is right-wing conservatism is equaling biblical Christianity because those things are separate circles and I know they overlap, but they are not the same thing. If you look at chapter number 6 there in that same book of Corinthians, there's a a list of some people. I know this is a a familiar passage, chapter number 6 and verse number 9. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And that is the truth. He said, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. This is not a good list. These are not people you will feel comfortable around. These are not, these are not people that by choice you probably would make your friends. These people do things we, we don't even want to think about, but he, he lists it out here and then he goes on, he says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists shall inherit the kingdom of God. And that is a truth. But then he says in verse number 11, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, here's what that means. Somebody went to those people with the gospel. That's what that means. Somebody went to those effeminate. Somebody, somebody went to those fornicators. Somebody took the gospel to those people. Somebody did not see them as enemies, but saw them as people who needed to be saved. Somebody believed that, 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 that instead of preaching message of lifestyle, that the first step is to preach the gospel, which is the power of God under salvation. And somebody took that power of God and preached to those people, and some of those people got saved. And thank God for somebody who went. And regrettably, we somehow are reversing the trend and, and getting back to this pattern of, of, uh, of them and us and, and, uh, and, and, and enemies. And, and, you know, there's a great confusion prevailing. And, and most of those people don't even know what the gospel is. And we find it easy to rail against them, to preach against them in our pews, to stand and wave a placard than we do to take the gospel to them People that God so loved the world that he gave. You will never change America by politics. 
The answer has never been in the White House. It's in the church house. It has to happen here. Instead of throwing rocks at those people, take the gospel. That's the power of God and the salvation. You want to save your country, save the sinners. That's what we need to do. We need to get the gospel out there. We need to be clear what the gospel is. C.T. Studd said, some wish to live within the sound of the chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. We need to go where the sinners are. Go out to them. You know what we do? We, we go fishing this way. I, I notice in Thailand they have these uh, bamboo fish traps. They, they have like an opening at one end. They go like this, an opening at the other. And there's a little, little slot. And, and they just put them in the river. And hopefully at some point some fish will swim into that trap. And once that fish is in the trap, it can't get back out. And that's how they go fishing for fish. And they do catch some fish. They get two, they get three, they, they get some. But we're not supposed to go fishing that way. We, we don't just take the fish trap and put it there and wait for somebody to just come to us in our trap. Bible fishing means you take the net and you throw it. And you move out and you throw it again and you throw it again and you hunt the fish down and you find them and you throw the gospel net. And our gospel outreach has been more about the fish trap model where we just kind of wait for them to come and well, we get, we get a few. But that is not the way that Jesus taught. You hold in your hands the power of God under salvation. You're supposed to take that, and Jesus said again and again and again, go. You say, where do I go? You go to the sinners. Oh, you say, I feel uncomfortable around people like that. That's the problem. And for all the political rallies and for all the well-intended folks who are trying to change the country, they continue to increase, and your influence is diminishing year after year. You're losing the battle. And you're not going to win it through politics. You're going to have to get out of the church pew and get out of what you feel comfortable with and get around some people who are sinners like Jesus did and give them the gospel and preach the truth to them and and get them saved. And you can't sit and, oh, God, God, change America, but you won't go. You have to go. Take the gospel and go and get it out to those people. You know, the sinners are just doing what sinners do. They're just sinning. That's what they do. One thing about sinners, they're unchanged through the ages. They're still the same. But thank God the gospel has not changed. Thank God that that God is capable of changing the hearts of people and saving the souls and the Spirit of God can invade the spirit of a man and those that were dead and sin and trespasses before become alive unto God when you take the gospel. But you have to go and you have to take the gospel. And you have to get out. You are not moving enough in America. So you need to take the gospel to urban black America. Oh. You need to take the gospel to the cities, the hubs of sin. You need to get into the inner cities. You need to get into Hollywood. You need to get into Los Angeles. You need to get into New York. You need to get the gospel to those people. 
Those people cannot be saved if they do not hear. And you have what they need. You have the hope. They are not your enemies. They are the people you need to win. They are the people that Jesus died for. Take the gospel to the people before it's too late. You will not prevail on your current course. You cannot win. Your own history is screaming you are losing. But you keep looking for answers in the wrong places. Take the gospel. Go back to what started it all. Take hold of what God gave you that changed your life and take it to someone else and preachers, preach to your people, get out of the pews, get into the cities, go out to the sinners, preach to the sinners, give them the hope, give them the gospel, tell them that they need to be saved, tell them what Jesus did for them, tell them that God loves them, and if you'll do that, people will get saved and you have a chance of turning the tide in your country. But if you don't do that, You lose. If you don't go, you lose. And you can blame everybody else. You can say it's the fault of the left and it's the it's the wicked media and it's the nasty effeminates. It's all it's, it's them. They're they're ruining our country. While you sit in your blessed comfort and do nothing and think that God is just nodding with you that you're right. Wake up, fundamentalist America. Get up and go out. Take the power of God. And you'll find that God is still apt to save people just like on that list. But we don't go. We just talk about what they're doing and how they're ruining America. But we don't go. And then you wonder why it's happening. Jesus said, no, 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 there's not going to be them and us. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, was able to take himself and Jesus went to the sinners and Jesus gave them the message from God and Jesus loved them and Jesus touched them and Jesus was not there because somehow he wanted to be around their sin. He was there because he loved people and somebody needed to go. And if independent Baptists won't go, then God will move you aside and someone else he'll send. You say, oh no, God can't do without us. Oh, (laughs) the last few decades ought to be challenging that notion. Get up and go. Go to the cities. Go to the urban areas. Go to where the sinners are. You say, what do I do? Just take the gospel. Just take the gospel. That's where the power is. All the rest of it, you can just, just, just leave, put the bags out, leave all the rest. Just take the gospel. That's still what God blesses. Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, what? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? And it seems that the word of God has came unto many, but it doesn't go out from many.
Apostle Paul said to those Corinthian believers, some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And you live in a country tonight that is just crawling with churches. You have more independent Baptist churches in some of your cities than we have in our whole nation in Australia, in one city. Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Go, get out. It's time to get uncomfortable. It's time to start throwing a net instead of putting a fish trap down and just waiting. Win your city or you lose your city. Win your land or you lose your land. But you need to go. You need to go to where they are. Let's have a word of prayer.